the vocabulary we use amongst our leadership. We're always looking for God's new springs. And what I find very interesting about this is that there's an immediate question that follows this declaration that God is new, doing a new thing. And it is, do, do you not perceive it? In other words, there is the complete possibility for we as people to worship a God in community with each other and God to be working in ways that we do not perceive, see, understand, or recognize. And if ever there was a season in the history of, of my ministry, this is probably the second one, I'd say the first one was during Hurricane Katrina, Katrina New Orleans, it was very hard to put together the pieces of that puzzle in the middle of that moment. But looking back, um, you can see that there, at least I can, that there was a very significant way God uh, was working. And this is probably true for any of you that have followed Jesus for any amount of time. You like to have a story with different details but the same moral. And the moral is that we don't always perceive, see, recognize. And let's be frank, agree. I don't know about you, but there are definitely times when um, I have a hard time agreeing with looks like the way that God is working. And so here, in the wilderness and in the streams and in the wasteland, what God says is he's, he's doing something new and challenges his people to perceive it, to recognize it. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. I kind of want to give, if you will, a primer for, uh, for where we're heading in the weeks and months that follow. If you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that there's a term I like to use called slow church. And it is, it is the way we have built this body. In our world, we, we are fast. Everything is fast. If you go through a Chick-fil-A drive-thru, they are timing literally how long it takes from the point of, uh, of order till you get in your, your sandwich. I've yet to hear a person who said, I love the fact that every time I go to Walmart, there's like a 12-hour wait in the line, right? Nobody is happy about the, the length of time it takes to check out. We live in like a, like a fast food, fast everything culture. And in many ways, our culture has sort of synonymously, and at times maybe even unhealthily, equated fast with good. And I'm not saying that fast can't ever be good. I'm just saying the most meaningful things in our lives seldom are facts. So think about your friendships, or your relationships, or your marriages, or your children, or your siblings, or something you've done, your, your career. You, you likely did not stumble upon any of those things in a way that was fast. It was a long season of development and investing. And what eventually happened is a new spring emerged that was something that you invested a great amount of time in. And so when I say slow church, what, what I want us to think about is not just the way we we conduct ourselves and how we treat people. We, we've always been thankful for the fact that restoration is a place that anybody from any walk of life can come. Um, we expect nothing. And by nothing, I mean we don't expect people to walk in the doors of this room or a community group or to sit at a lunch table with us and, and be immediately perfect. Um, what we wanted to do and have successfully done for the past 10 years is build a culture where people could see this place as a bit of an infirmary where folks could really walk in beat up and a little bruised and, and find men and women who have also been beaten up and bruised throughout their years and find a place of encouragement and rest and hope. And so this idea of letting God work according to his timing is not only a, a very strong biblical theme, but it's one we want to apply even in the early days of the beginning of in-person uh, gathering. For example, this room is not the final product, if you will, of what this room is going to look we made some decisions uh, to, to basically meet in here for about a month before we determined what was the best solution, for example, on how to uh, give you guys the, the lyrics. Typically, we project this stuff in the past and had a full band, but we wanted to treat September as, as slow. We wanted to sort of figure out how to live in this place, and we want, over the weeks, you to contribute to that dialogue. So I know, like, perhaps what is the most clear example of this right now is you are all thinking, I do remember those movie theater scenes. Remember how Christian <laughs> like none of you will fall asleep on that bench. I promise. <laughs> Ever. It's gonna be the best thing ever. And if you do, I can see you. It's gonna be wonderful. Right? So so that's a great example where we might invest in some cushions or chairs down the road. These are the kinds of things that we are going to take slow. We didn't want to walk into this place and act like we knew it in a new season of life. This is in and of itself is a new spring and an incredible one, which I'll share with you here in a few moments. And so this is a, maybe even we might consider it a time of, of reset. And by reset, what I mean is one, one of the attributes of slow church is that we are deeply dialed, at least we're attempting to be 
deeply dialed in to who Jesus is and what he wants from our lives. And I think that the church, whether it wants to recognize it or not, I'm speaking of the church capital C and the church lowercase c, our church, has been given an opportunity to think and rethink what it does and how it does it. For example, uh, what we learned today, one of the things that has been at least somewhat exciting to me, I'm not saying that the, the era of COVID has been exciting to me, it's been very challenging, but one of the great ways that God can bring good things out of difficult situations is even in a room like this, what we learned is that, or what we're learning, is that you don't actually need fancy equipment or high-tech electronics, which we own, to have meaningful worship. The essential elements for worship are A, Jesus Christ, and B, an affectionate part. And so I was so encouraged, and still am encouraged, over the past six months seeing your, and hearing your stories about how we, we were able to broaden our perspectives on what worship actually is, like what Romans 12 says. It certainly is, is a gathering, it's part of what worship is, but we've also seen and were actually forced to, to worship God in ways that might be different the modern church, but are essential in the scripture. What we need is Jesus and the affections of our heart. So it is likely going to take some time for us to figure this room out and some of our, our new rhythms, indoor gathering, online gathering, uh, community groups. And I just, I want all of you to know, whether you're watching on the TV screen right now, an iPhone, or, or listening to me physically, that this is a time where I would really, uh, I want to call and encourage Please hear me, there's no correction here. It's, it's not like this hasn't happened. I just want to encourage you to continue along this vein. That we want to let people assimilate and reassimilate when they are comfortable. Whether that means that they're not yet ready to come into a room like this, maybe they have a high risk uh, for a certain illness, we, we want to love and encourage those folks. And those of you that are here, we want to love and encourage you. Wherever you're at, wherever your next step is, we want to be able to support that. Uh, as we move forward. And so this is truly a place where I, um, I've seen some terrible things on, online as far as how politicians and churches and just people in general have conducted themselves over the recent happenings in our life and, and culture. And I just want to ask you to remember and to continue to live out what has been one of the, the most profound and exemplified relational attributes of our church family, and that has been love and unity. It's, I mean, I've never started a church that has been so committed um, to each other and to preserving the unity of the gospel. So this is our new beginning. It's going to be a lot more we'll talk about as the weeks uh, come, come to us, unless you want to stay at like 4 or 5 o'clock. I can lay the blueprint out for you. But uh, we want to slowly assemble into this place. And what I wanted to do this morning is, is share a sort of a bit of a history of our church. And then there is going to be a place here at the end where we'll make some time for you to ask some questions. I, I definitely, uh, each week we will do this. We'll make a space for you to just really ask whatever. Hopefully it doesn't have anything to do with aliens. Uh, if it does, we can address that. But we'll try to keep it on topic. But I know since we've been kind of scattered for some time, we want to create a space where we can actually answer some questions. We've tried our best to get all the information out that we could, but that doesn't necessarily every answer that you were looking for. So we'll make a few minutes of that at the end of today. But I, I am curious, how many of you would say that you could, if somebody walked up, walked up to you and said, can you tell me the story of a restoration? Like how many of you think you could accurately lay out the 10, the 10 years of our, our journey? Okay, good. So I'm going to talk to you afterwards. <laughs> Alright, so I'm not saying this to like point out something negative, I'm just saying it's amazing uh, if you consider the, the, the family of restoration, this, the story is actually almost 11 years old, we'll be 10 years old this October, but that does not include the year prior um, to our official, you know, sort of public recognition of us being a church, even though we were a church far before we were meeting in a room like this, and it doesn't even account for the, the story of like the discussion of what would eventually become restoration that was taking place while my wife and I were in another state living in New Orleans. And so I just very briefly want to share with you the big picture narrative of, of Restoration Church, whether you're online or here. It's important to know that God has established a, a pedigree here, and it's going to be very important when I remind us to, to raise our Ebenezer at the end of this time this 
walk this day in our minds and hearts because it is truly the beginning of a new spring. And so uh, I was in ministry, like vocational ministry, for just about 10 years before this opportunity developed to start a church. Uh, I was a youth pastor for just shy of seven years and a, a lead pastor for three years in, uh, in New Orleans. And ironically, I was the lead pastor of my first senior pastor. Uh, five weeks, uh, that's how much experience I had when Hurricane Katrina hit. So I got a baptism by fire. I learned how to run a building campaign and all kinds of things that they don't teach you uh, in seminary. Uh, I could like read, but I had to now figure out how to haggle with uh, uh, a uh, insurance company, which being a New Yorker was very helpful to have that uh, under my belt. So it was hard for the whole time. We we had uh, we had served in this church, people we deeply cared about, and I had a professor that had come up to me who was a church planning professor that said, um, I really need to pray about whether or not I should start a church because he had seen something that he felt like. Was, uh, was in me in that, the thought had never really crossed my mind at that point. And he uh, he actually invested heavily in me. His name is Dr. Jack Allen, I still communicate with him. And what happened was, is, uh, so you know, we I, I lived in Florida before, my wife is from Florida. So my wife is one of 11 people out of 23 million that are actually from Florida. There's hardly any of you out there. Most of us are transplants from some other place. This is the second time I've lived in Florida, so I, I, I had a 10-year run just about in the 90s, and then a 10-year run when we came back in 2009. And I, when we left Florida, we had no intention of coming back. It wasn't like we disliked the state. It was just that this was not like on our, our radar. Um, I'm a kind of concrete kid, and I, I, liked, I like cities, and I love New Orleans, and when we moved there for school, we just sort of dialed in. And when this opportunity to sort of church came up, uh, so ironically, it was not in Florida. The first hit I got was one of my professors uh, connected me with some people up in New York, and we actually did about eight days of interviews up there. And uh, I was having this conversation about basically returning home while I had a church in Daytona that had just started talking to me about the possibility of starting a church here. And I was very frank with the church in Daytona. I was already midway through a process. And I, I told them that I had to complete this before we could really have serious um, conversations. In other words, I wanted to be faithful to not like put stuff on a scale and take it look like a better option. I wanted to really figure out where God wanted us. And I'll be very honest with you, where I wanted to be was not in Florida. I, I know for sure, like, finally God was bringing me home. And I like in New York to like my personal Ephesus. In, in the Bible, Paul is constantly trying to get to Ephesus. And God is constantly telling him that he's not going to Ephesus. At least the timing was incredibly, uh, incredibly wrong. And so uh, we went up there, and I'll tell you, uh, for a place that we love so much, my wife and I, I don't think we were ever more miserable in our lives than we were the eight days we were up there. And that had nothing to do with the people we were uh, talking to or the city itself. It was just becoming very clear that this sort of affection I had was it wasn't it wasn't there. And, we left that place with a clear understanding uh, and honestly a broken heart that New York was not where we were we were going. And so um, it was at that point that I, I'll, I'll actually never forget, um, some of you, particularly the Strattons will, will know, I was standing on Broadway with a, another pastor who's no longer here in Virginia, I mean Matt Walker called me, and I was like in Manhattan, he was like, just checking in on me, buddy. You know, they wanted to make sure like, I hadn't taken a, taken a, a job. And so anyways, we came home and began to seriously talk for about a year about what it would be like to move to Florida. And eventually, after tons of interviews and assessments going both ways, we, we packed up a Penske truck. Uh, we, we had a whole plan to pack a Penske truck, let me put it this way. Um, but Hurricane Gustav uh, came into Louisiana, you know, it was sort of like Louisiana gave us one little hurricane kicking the tail on the way out. And so we were delayed two weeks getting here. I actually broke my foot in the process of getting here. Uh, because I had this whole, I'm a pretty planned out person, I had this whole uh, like meticulous roadmap of who was going to load trucks and what we were doing what, and then a hurricane hit and everybody had to evacuate and I had nothing but me and uh, and, and my wife essentially at that point and with an infant uh, to, to load a truck. And so I called a bunch of what were students in my youth ministries, they were all at LSU, and I said, hey, I don't have any money, but if you'll come help us pack this truck, I'll just feed you like pizza. 
like a lot of it. Like there'll be stuff in your pockets with it. And so like six kids from LSU drove, the Alabama came over, they loaded the truck. Loaded the lower kids. I mean, like they didn't load it well, they just threw the junk in there. But nonetheless, it got in there. Half the stuff they would throw away when we came back. Uh, and I broke my foot carrying my son's a piece of his crib, the, the long piece at the end. I was walking up the ramp of this truck and a wind gust came, like post-hurricane, you know, and it blew me right off of the trailer. And I, I caught myself and landed on my right foot and broke my fifth metatarsal. And I wasn't actually able to get to a doctor until two weeks. And I was just hobbling around, like, sucking it up. And so we, we drove the Penske truck, and we finally got in it. I was really freaking out, and this might be somewhat surprising, um, but I, I was leaving that city wondering if we had made the right choice. Really, like, typically I'm fairly confident in the direction we need to be moving in, but I was really not at that moment. And I've said this before, and I mean, if it had not been for my wife, we probably would not be here. She was sort of the driving impetus in helping me to sort through these emotions that I had. But I had, we were leaving the city, about to cross the twin span, like exiting New Orleans. And I remember saying, and I've only done this once in my entire 20 years of Jesus, I was like, God, please give me a sign. Like, show me something that, uh, like, I, I was fleecing enough, which the Old Testament explicitly says not to do. So don't follow this, God. But nonetheless, I was like, please give me some sort of, like, affirmation that this is the right move. And I kid you not, I'm driving the big 26-foot Penske truck, and to the left of I-10 was this big billboard. It was one that I probably would have made, made fun of for its, uh, its abrasiveness. But nonetheless, it was a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, and it said, I am your shepherd, follow me. And I thought, if I turn this truck around, I'm going to get hit by lightning and die. <laughs> it, it was very, very clear. Uh, I mean, that was the grace of God, that that sign just happened to be there at, at that time. I can still physically see that sign in my head. And at that point, I just bit my lip and set the cruise control, and we made the journey uh, to Florida. And so we hooked up with a church in Daytona, Christ Community Church, that's a sister church of ours. And I was on staff there for about a, a year and a half. I, I did a lot of things. I was, I think, technically like associate pastor of church planning or something like that. But I had some executive duties, and it was a really great group of people. And the plan was to start a church. And so, out of um, out of this sort of relationship, we identified what would eventually be. There, there were lots of folks that entertained the idea of, of coming to maybe start a new church. But at the end of the day, there were about 20 people that really did come. And I remember the first meeting we had in my living room. There were about 17 of us. This was actually January of, um, of 2010. The Saints were playing in the Super Bowl. It was kind of a rather fitting uh, you know, uh, reality, considering we had just left New Orleans. And that was the beginning of the journey of restoration. And ten, for 10 straight months, what we did is we, we had what I would call like intensive trainings. We, we called them closed group meetings, where we were telling people, please don't invite anybody to these. Because what we want to do is make sure that we have a, an essential understanding of what we are, who we are, what we mean by uh, we're going to be a new a, a new church. And we wanted to make sure our people were prepared. And this is also a theme that's going to be very important. If you want to know the future of restoration, it, it really is in returning to the roots of our past. And that is equipping, equipping, equipping. That's something I'll mention here in a, in a moment. But nonetheless, we spent 10 months. We grew out of my living room. We started meeting in a uh, coffee shop, which is now like a little play theater on um, Clyde Morris, the other side of Clyde Morris, anyways. And uh, for about three months, we, well, for 10 months, we met there, but then we outgrew that facility, and that was when we contracted with, with Hollywood Theaters. And the point of this is that I want, I want you to know the, the driving philosophy behind this was that we did not start a church with a church service. <laughs> and that's like how a lot of people do it today. And I'm not knocking any of that. If you're from Jesus, we're for you. But what we wanted to do was build the DNA of a body and then, and then see a church emerge. And that's exactly what happened. We essentially had all the rhythms, what we would call in our language, gospel community and mission. That, that DNA was present in our people, about 40 of us at that time, before we even had our first Sunday uh, gathering at, at the movie theater. And so those values have driven us from the very, the very first day. And uh, God has been very kind to us over the past decade. We've had we have a wonderful story. It has not been perfect by any means. We have had no shortage of trials and hardships. But at every every single point, 
God has, has been good to us. He provided a place for us to meet and raised up leaders. And we've seen men and women come to faith. And we've been able to encourage and, and counsel and develop younger people in the faith. And critically, in our church, we've even seen, this is a, a very strong driving value, we've seen successful cohabitation between the old and the young. And what I mean by that is there ain't a lot of bickering going on between the two in restoration. There's a really beautiful sort of synchronized reality that we're all in this trench together and we all can mutually learn from each other in different seasons of life. And so when I open this by saying preserving the unity of our church, I, I really mean that God, uh, there's no you know, slight hand here or offhand comment. God has been very good to us and, uh, and that's something we want to press into as we, we move forward. And so we started restoration much like uh, as, as far as the physical expression of gathering. It took us a lot of time to learn in the theater. We made a ton of mistakes and learned a bunch of stuff. We sent a bunch of people away, meaning we trained up leaders, and they would leave. The first three or four years, I would really get frustrated with that, but then I realized that this would eventually become part of our DNA, that we are truly ascending church, and it's amazing. Like, I don't know if any of you know this, but um, one of our elders who moved to uh, Maryland, they uh, named their chiropractic clinic Restoration because they wanted to be able to deal with both the physical and spirituality of, uh, of the folks they were caring for. And so there's a million of those stories, several of them that we want to share with you in the weeks to come. But I just say in an abbreviated way, which for me is like 20 minutes, I, don't, I say yeah. that I never abbreviate anything. Um, we, we are at a very, very similar place today that, that we were in like in, in 2010. We, we are on the precipice of, of something really amazing. And what I'm excited about is the fact that this is uh, one, one more step in this culmination of new springs. I mean, literally, from soup to nuts, God has retooled every aspect of our church. And one of the things that has been most significant to me, at least as, as we've had these discussions as, lead, as a leadership team, trying to sense where God is directing us, like even, even the ability to, um, to have a new locality, that is, uh, we, we try to quantify, at least in my mind, why this is an important season. Why is there something uh, that we should be mindful about as the world is changing and refiguring itself out? Why should we as the church be thinking about the same thing? Uh, I'll, tell, I'll tell you why. Uh, so uh, up until about a month or two ago, and this will resume hopefully in another week or two, just because you know, there's been a lot of craziness going on, but I, uh, I talk once a week to uh, a gentleman who is much older than me, and I don't say that in a derogatory way, he lives in Tennessee, he's a retired uh, basketball coach and a great missionary, and I try to, you know, sort of follow what I communicate to you all, that we should all be in three relationships, we should have somebody down the road in the faith investing in us, we should have peers that we can invest in, uh, like our relationships, and at some point you really need to be asking the question, is there somebody maybe behind us in the faith, and that is not a derogatory Somebody behind us when we are investing in. And so um, the seasons of my life where I have been without somebody that, that has been ahead of me have been very challenging. And so uh, uh, his name is Dave. We were talking about a year ago, and he said, what, like, if, if you, what's the biggest thing you, you'd want to see in your church life right now? Like, like what is it you, you want to change or, or to be different? And what I loved about this conversation he and I had, it wasn't like, oh, we have a lot of angry people, it was none of that. I mean, uh, I truly enjoy our people. It's one of the greatest things that, it is our greatest asset, if you will, just the sort of uh, camaraderie of our, our folks. But I said that there were sort of two, two things that, that were really, really driving my heart at that point. And one was that God would give us a greater influence in our, our, our natural spheres of influence. What I mean by that is every single one of you has a part of the world that only you have access to because of who you are. Uh, so I could enter your world, I might get invited to a lunch in your world, but I'll never have the, the credibility or the, um, or the sort of established relationships that you have in your natural sphere of influence, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your co-workers. And the same is true, true for me. And so what I, what I said is, is it, it would be like my heart's desire that every single person would at least be made aware of this, that God would show them this in their hearts and that those who are willing would really seek to be equipped in this area. In other words, maybe you're saying, I do have a natural sphere of influence, I just really don't know how I would even begin to broach the idea of me being the person uh, who loves Jesus. This is, again, where equipping will 
That was the first thing I said. And the second thing I said was that I was begging God. I mean, literally. I had one consistent complaint about restoration since the first day. It's the coffee. It's terrible. The coffee's pretty amazing. But my consistent complaint was set up so much time dragging speakers around. And not that that's a bad thing. We did what we had to do, but every time I look at, again, that's, that, that created a bond and a bond in our church that is pretty significant. But nonetheless, I kept thinking, what would it be like to not have to have all of this time setting stuff up and breaking stuff down? What if that time could be dedicated to more foyer conversation or more chats in the hallways? And that was it. I mean, that's the thing that has, has sort of been most frustrating over the years. And so we... We were praying about this and have been praying about this, and this sort of brings me to, to the present. So several months ago, let's just round it about and say six, this thing COVID hits the world. If you haven't heard of it, Google it. Uh, <coughs> don't believe anything you read, but Google it. And uh, what, what happened is, is we, we were just put into not necessarily crisis, meaning like that we were, we were falling apart, but every natural thing we were doing was shut down, just like every natural thing you were doing was shut down. Disruption in work, disruption uh, in school, movie theaters closed, we can't meet there anymore. Everything started changing. And typically when seasons like that happen, when there is a, um, I, I like to use the, like a naval analogy here, like big ships take a very long time to turn. If you were to, you know, most of them, if you were to turn them very hard, you'd probably list them so hard to the right or the left that you'd fling people off of them. Um, so our, our church has always functioned more like a bit of a speedboat in the sense that we've always been able to um, adapt quickly to the things that were going on around us. And so whenever stuff like this happens, don't get me wrong, I had to deal with all of the challenges you had to deal with. But it became very clear to me that we should not not think that God is working um, through this. And so the more we tried to work with the theater to meet the theater, they just kept delaying uh, the ability to move in. Everything we were attempting to do was being shut down. Uh, it, there's this meme online now. It's kind of funny. Uh, it's actually very funny. It was like a group of people in a, in a boardroom, like, you know, sort of like a staff meeting, and it said, uh, how come we don't have church anymore, but we all have ten times the amount of work to do? And that's literally what life became, like switching everything from digital, tripling our communication. All of this stuff took, took a lot of time. It birthed a lot of really good things that will move forward with us as we continue to press on as a church. And the greatest, one of the greatest things I believe that we saw out of this is the fact that um, God actually did something that we were attempting to do for years but could not get done on our own. And this is always something that, that makes me pause and be very mindful of the reality of who God is. So, I mean, truly, we've been running our head into a brick wall trying to figure out a way to find a place looking for property. We've been, there's lots of things. We've looked at affordable spaces, but we were really unable to find something that that was beneficial to the values of, of our church, that would actually deepen the difference of gospel community and mission. And then all of a sudden we found out that uh, Sweetwater was available. My children were here when they were uh, younger, and uh, we we sent a team over here a couple of months ago, and it was amazing. Um, just the first, like, like, as soon as we all stepped on the ground, obvious, it was like a unanimous spirit of, of this is it. And uh, and the reason I say this is important is for a few reasons. One, the more we talk to our community, the more uh, the more people are excited about it. Uh, two, I cannot tell you how great it is to know that uh, we've not entirely eliminated um, set up of those things, but we've, we've pretty much reduced almost all of it, meaning the bulk of our time now goes to what matters most, and that's um, figuring out what new springs God wants to develop in the And it also gives us this incredible new, new platform where we have the opportunity to, to serve. Not that we're not serving at the theater, but who knows the, the opportunities we'll have to, uh, to serve faculty or staff or, or families. It, it hit every single touch point. It gave us a, a place to talk about the truth of Jesus in community for the sake of the mission. And the thing that is the most exciting about this is that not a single Thing we have done in the past two years has been able to bring this about. It just happened. And I say it just happened not meaning like we got lucky. I say it just happened meaning these are moments that I truly believe 
brings about a new, a new reality. And when those things happen, uh, they, they do a few things. So first of all, uh, it, it really did re-deepen my trust in, in God. Like it made me a little bit fearless, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way, but sort of like I just was reminded of how real God is and how we really should live our lives uh, with a humble confidence that he is in control and that he does care about us and he suffers with us and that he sees the future even when we can. Um, I was reminded that maybe I should run my head into brick walls a little less and ask God a little more to move them for me because literally the more we pray for a change, um, the, the, the quicker he brought one about. And uh, what I've seen over the past six months, not that, please don't even say anything with this COVID is good, it's a tragedy in every way and on every level. But it does remind us that God can bring good things out of bad situations. That's the premise of what Romans 8 teaches us, is that we do serve a good God who can take the most tragic of things, not that he is enjoying observing the world going through this, but he can actually redeem those struggles and do wonderful things. And that is evidenced by the beginning of this today. One, one section of our church, one area of our church, our, our gathering, there have been so many things that we have longed to, to be able to do. And it was through the course of a very difficult season in the world, still a very difficult season, that, that God actually answered a substantial prayer. And so from moving forward, and this is when we'll open the floor to some questions. I, I want, you know what Ebenezer is? Like, not the screw story, but uh, in the Bible, it's ironically only used three times the word, if memory serves me correctly. But in Ebenezer, it's like a stone that is raised in memory of something. So you might remember, like, the Israelites raised stones when, when they accomplished significant things. Uh, raising in Ebenezer, First uh, Samuel 7 12, uh, basically what happens there is they raise an Ebenezer and faithfulness so that they, they mark out in their minds and their hearts with this physical monument, you might say, uh, the fact that God's been good and has, has done something. And so today we we in this room and you online, we, we raise an Ebenezer in the sense that in the same way we did this, I'll never forget the morning of our first gathering uh, at the movie theater, I'll never forget the first time we cooperated with the city to clean up under the bridge. We've had all of these Ebenezer moments and this is another one. It's truly a new chapter in the life of our church. And it's one that I don't necessarily think is going to be easy. Like, we fully are expecting it. Um, like, whatever the new normal is, is probably going to be two to three months as it takes time for people to be comfortable um, gathering in a room like this. And I actually want to say that I think that that's a good thing. Um, a lot of the folks I've spoken to or just from what I've observed in the church world is that everybody's trying to, like, immediately get back to what they were doing. But I think, or at least I'd like to ask you to pray alongside of me, what if we ask a different question? What if we pray about what it is God would like us to be doing? And maybe we'll find that some of the great things we've done in the past are not necessarily things he would like us to do uh, in the future. Or maybe he will raise new opportunities in areas, as he has consistently done, uh, in, uh, to, to serve and bless people in the name of Jesus through word and deed in places that we, we didn't even know were going to be opportunities. Siri didn't get that. I'm sorry. Um, fire. You're fired. It's even on mute. I don't know. Maybe we have this opportunity in front of us where we really begin to pray about what this Ebenezer means and what uh, what God has for our future. So that's really all I wanted to say today, was to prime the pump a little bit, to talk about the fact that our church has really endured something pretty, pretty substantial, and we are still viable and healthy, and I'm not making that up for any bravado's sake. Uh, we, we really are poised to continue to do great things for the kingdom of God. And that's a promise that Jesus made us, that, that we would do greater things than even he did when he was on earth. And so, um, with that said, I want to take just a few minutes. Uh, we'll close in prayer in a moment. But I, I did want to give you all, and this is true, if, if you have questions online, um, I won't be able to see them now, but what we can do is if you want to post them, I can try to address them in the weeks that follow. I, I did want to take just a couple minutes um, and ask, if you guys have, are there any outstanding questions about anything, anything I said about the life of our church that, that maybe you you want to throw out now, having this sort of kitchen table dialogue, uh, I think is, in, is important, and I, I'd like to offer you that opportunity. Don't feel pressured, there's no need for it, but um, if there's something you'd like to know. 
<laughs> it's a good question. Obviously, for um, for safety's sake, we are not going to be having any common touch areas. So typically, we have a spread of pastries and coffee. But um, until we get it all clear, we are going to try to minimize uh, mutual contact of things. In fact, you probably noticed there's hand sanitizer and masks where there used to be coffee and, and pastries. So as soon as it is safe, we will go ahead and um, and bring out all the stuff none of us should be eating anyways. Okay, good question. At least for me, I actually just set almost eight pounds on during the, the pandemic. I have yet to lose them. And there weren't even any pastries. Great question. Anything else? Mission, vision, value, there's no whole body here. Anything you want to ask? I do, and uh, we've had this discussion actually. In case you didn't hear this, uh, John is asking if there's a, a like a public launch. In other words, a time where we get a little more um, visible with the community, apart from just the signs and things we have up now. And the initial plan, this was about three months ago. I thought the fall would be the time we could do this, mid to late October. But it became pretty clear to all of us that uh, there's a, there's still a lot of uncertainty in the fall, and um, not uncertainty meaning like we're fearful of anything, but we wanted to do that at a time when we felt like the the confidence of our people in the public was a little more robust than what it is right now. So right now the plan is for us to invest and invite personally in relationships. We're not, not inviting people. Um, in fact, we're encouraging you to invite people to community groups in uh, this room or online. But we're, we're really hoping that we can in January, which is a rather natural time frame. Um, we'll have a holiday season and in January we'd like to actually um, pu publicly launch. It ain't that we're, pub we're not public now, where every media site we have has been blasted, but a driving emphasis for that, we kind of felt like we wanted to have our bearings here first. We wanted to move the family over and then figure out how to uh, communicate this in a, in a more broad spread way. So right now January is what we're aiming for the second week of January, so it's what we'd like to see, uh, see happen. Great question, yes? Um, what does our holidays look like? Like, will we be able to meet here for Christmas if it falls on a Wednesday or Christmas Eve if it's on a Tuesday because of the school, like, um, calendar? And then, like, say, for instance, our Chili Cook-Off and other kind of events, um, you know, whatever churches do outside of the Sunday worship gathering on Sunday morning, are we going to be able to have more access to maybe do like a Wednesday night service or a kids family fun day or stuff like that? Is that something that we're going to look at being able to have more access more like the theater sometimes they couldn't have Christmas because of the movies going on oh, yeah. stuff like yeah. that? Yeah, there definitely is uh far more availability. I can't I can't specifically answer about every single event that you mentioned, but uh, Christmas Eve, you know, we've been unable to have that here for a couple of years. A lot of it's been because it's been an outdoor service and we learned the hard way about the inclement weather of Florida, but um, we can uh, rent this facility uh, other times. It just cannot conflict, obviously, with, um, with school events. So yes, the, the short general answer to that is we we will have a better accessibility to this room. And I'll give you a, a concrete example of this. Um, we intend to, on a pretty regular basis, you know, we like to have lunch together, meet, hang out. And for some people, that's cost prohibitive. Uh, some people have to leave. We, we want to be able to, like, after church on some Sundays, just flip these tables up and have lunch together, like sack lunch lunches. So even our ability to, to have a little more time with each other here, not dragging stuff around, um, and not trying to meet movie deadlines is, is dramatically increased. So that uh, that is that's a question about the kitchen table. And this is our analogy of restoration that we're our church we want it to be like a kitchen table. The hardest and most meaningful conversations you've had in life with people you love most happen at that table typically. And so we we have a much longer table, let me put it that way, um, uh, in the school than we did at the theater. Not to mock the theater, it's just it's a different rhythm and it's one that's that it coincides a little a little more um, congruently with, with our rhythms. It's a great question. Yeah. It's a long question I have, but I don't know how to frame it other than just to think about it. 
future. Um, and it seems like, you know, just from a, a, a leadership standpoint, there are um, things that might be that were a certain way for a long period of time, and now you're revisiting those things and then seeing like, okay, how does this fit in today where it might have fit in differently 10 years ago? Um, but speaking, you mentioned just a moment ago, mission vision, um, and my question is, what does that look like now, um, and how can that be um, communicated? Like, like to me, I, I don't have any part of anything. You sure. know what I mean? Like, I don't know that. I don't know if I'm yeah. communicating that properly. But like, is there a way? Is that what you're talking about? Talking about in the future, these next coming few weeks, where there were things that were a part of this culture and now are going to be or maybe re-focused on and seeing how those can be changed or implemented differently? Is that what's going to happen? Or is there actually already uh, concise um, solutions to things that have previously happened in our culture as a little C church and, and might get implemented differently now? Is, am I making sense? You are. Uh, so all you gotta do is ask, okay, what's gonna change?
there being a tight-knit connection between all of all of the ministries, so that there is support beyond this room, that room, or your living room, uh, when when hopefully we continue to, to press on and move forward. And that will require equipping. The last thing I'll say here is equipping simply means um, I love that you say, you know, like you ask a question about something. What is this thing? Or how do we do this thing? Uh, that is a critical thing we want to emphasize more. We have better spaces to do it in now. So I actually think you'll you'll find a, a more robust palette of, we might call them topical, but nonetheless they're important. It might be like, how do we engage culture right now? Like culture is a rage. Anywhere you go, we're living in a culture of rage. What I would hope to see us do is have some opportunities where people that people that really have some questions about that, we could get together for three or four weeks and maybe carve out some time to work through that particular issue. We want to be able to equip uh, all of you in the areas of gospel community mission through this room, community groups, and then I would like to say some some tertiary events that, that allow us to address some things in, in, in particular. Maybe not applicable in a room of this size to that degree, but we could really, with 10 people or so, get into something very significant and work on training and developing. And that's in all areas of life, eldering, deaconing, um, just general service, the ministry and mission of our church. Uh, my hope is, this is one thing I wanted to mention earlier is that equipping will be taken more seriously, that folks really will desire to know their gifts and their abilities, and that they'll seek communal support in developing these things. Yes? I have another question. Um, so prior to the pandemic and all that, um, there were uh, community groups, uh, groups of smaller people connecting at people's homes, having you know food and drink and then an actual maybe discussion or like a actual series of a book that they would follow and dig deeper into um you know their faith and all of that uh what i know right now because of the pandemic it's been going um, online streaming people some have been kind of coming into the group that way just maybe watching or talking, live streaming, when do you think, uh, how many groups are there, my questions are, how many groups are there right now that you could jump into a group, um, when do you think they'll go back to meeting live at somebody's home where we can eat together safely and study together safely, and then, or do you think that it would ever be one more night a week where you open this up and offer it to a larger group for a larger meeting of community, what we're doing in the home, but maybe here, like a short fellowship, food, and a short study that you follow with that group that attends on that night. Sure. So those are my three questions. Okay. So there are four groups right now. Okay. Two of them are digitally enabled. The other two can be digitally enabled if they want to. And what I'll tell you moving forward, since I need a group, I'll just give you a physical example of this, is that um, we have not given the groups orders. Okay. We have, uh, I trust the competency of the leaders of our groups, and they are making their own decisions on what they feel is best and safest to do. So for example, we've had a few meetings in my backyard. Uh, we actually had to take a break from physically most of you know my daughter was diagnosed with diabetes, so there's some medical reasons why we had to not meet physically. Um, but we are going to begin in about a week or so, meeting again in my backyard. We're starting outside. Um, I cannot particularly answer when food will, will be brought back into the equation. Um, that really is, it's, the decision is made by the group because we feel like the best people to determine what the group needs when it comes to these particular details is the group themselves. That said, we want the group leaders to know that there's support and need. This is a question a group leader has asked people, like, well, what, what do we do about food? And what I'll say is, well, if your whole group is uncomfortable with potluck suppers, then just maybe tell them to bring their own sandwiches or something. So that's uh, question one is four groups. Uh, our group is going to be hybridized, meaning we have a family that just moved to Orlando. We constantly have a computer set up now. So there's, uh, when, when we have it physically, then we have a bucket and then those people can still zoom in, but similar to what we're doing uh, today. Regarding getting groups together, 
Um, the answer to that is, is yes. And what I would say is Sundays, this is, a, this is a big thing to think about. Sundays, or our Sundays, are more a collection of community groups than they are actual, just a random gathering of people. And so having other opportunities like that to gather, social fellowships, group mixers, like where, you know, you could, we could have, like, theoretically, it, was, it would be wonderful to have a meet the CG leaders one night, and, and, or one whatever afternoon, and have some space here for folks to meet people. That absolutely is something that we would love to think about. The only thing I would say is we want to make sure that it doesn't compromise the integrity of the group. And so, for, uh, for example, a lot of churches that are really having a midweek meetings, not that there's anything wrong with that, they see a tremendous uh, drop off in their community groups. And midweek meetings are becoming harder and harder to pull off just because of school and athletics and all this other stuff. So this is a place where we want to walk very wise. Uh, if we add something, we want to make sure that we're going to add something that actually uh, benefits the mission and the ministry. It doesn't actually start robbing Peter to pay Paul. But this idea of communal gathering, absolutely. Um, whatever it looks like, this in our documents is called the left jab. Simply means these might be things where we're trying to set something up, like uh, even the service opportunities to service. We're trying to create documents and information where we could literally have like a ministry expo. You know, you just have some people find out like, hey, I'd like to teach. You know, I've been coaching whatever for this one. Typically, that's a person who, when discipled, you find out can teach the Bible because they they know how to methodically work somebody through an athletic stance or a, or a game. So. If you want to know more about a particular community group, please let us know that um, online. Uh, there's one that meets in New Smyrna. There's a very small one that meets in Glenn. Uh, there's two that meet in Port Orange. I lead one, and Abe, uh, our worship leader, also leads one. Uh, so there's, there's four groups right now, uh, functionally, that we have post-pandemic. Did that answer the question? Yeah. Okay. The groups are great. I mean, being on Zoom is not in the best, but I told our folks it's, better, it's been better than um, better than nothing. And I think we're all ready. We're beginning to take steps to get back together again safely, and uh, uh, that is ultimately up to the people of the group and the group leaders themselves. They make their own contracts on it. As long as they're not doing anything really so, you know, like all drinking together, even even communion. You know, uh, we're 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 going to take communion this month. I can't wait. But we're going to have to order those little individual, I hate these things, just realize. To me, it's like McDonald's or communion. But, uh, you know, it's like it gets juice and the cracker and it's all packed together. But we just realized, like, passing the common bread bowl right now, not a, not a good idea. So, uh, so that's uh, probably a good way to look at it. We really do have to analyze almost every single thing we're doing and ask can we continue to do it that way. Communion is definitely not ready for the old way, and neither are groups, or depending on the groups. Anything else? So please know this is not the only time you can ask questions. We'll make some space after every weekend for this. Um, I encourage you to uh, you know send send your questions by email. I'll address them in the front of the room. If any of them come up throughout the week, you feel free to reach out to us or bring them here next Sunday. I hope uh, we will be here 10:30 from here on out, uh, meeting in this in this room. And um, I I want to just say one last thing. Remember your connection cards. Uh, for those of you that are giving, very thankful for that. Our give towers are to the left and to the right. For those of you automated online, uh, you, you know you've already set up. But if you have questions about how to give, if you have questions about need, uh, personal need, if you know people in need, like where we use our benevolence funds, make sure you know that those connection cards are the way to communicate that to us, at least in this room. And you can drop those discreetly in these towers on the way out. We'll process them, and uh, if something is going on, we will definitely follow up with you throughout the course of the week. So don't leave here without taking your next steps with Jesus. And I want to try something new. Um, I want to know if one of you would be uh, willing to maybe pray for us. Close us in prayer and then I'll give you the benediction. Anybody out there want to risk being evaluated for the rest of your life on how good of a Christian you are? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> totally just joking. Pray, John, for us. I will do a simple prayer for us. Great. 
Very good to see you again and you all.